I'm Paul Lancor with PodTech.net. With me on the line right now, Laurent Mendola. He's a senior manager with Bearing Point. Laurent, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Paul. Today we're going to be talking about uh, virtual desktops. There's a lot of discussion in the industry about virtualization in general. I wonder, Laurent, if you could clarify for us what uh, desktop virtualization is. It's a good question, Paul, because you'll hear vendors, analysts talk about desktop virtualization, and there's definitely some confusion starting to emerge from the term. So the way I see it is just like server virtualization is a means of decoupling the physical hardware from the operating system. Desktop virtualization is about decoupling the workstation, be it my laptop, my desktop, even my thin client, whatever I do work on, from the operating system and the applications that run on it. So the way you typically see it implemented these days, and that's the most widespread scenario, is by giving employees access to a thin terminal, meaning a keyboard, mouse, and a screen, without all the computing power. And this thin client is used to remotely connect to an operating system and applications that actually run in a secure remote data center. So in in a nutshell, to me, the concept of virtual desktop is to be able in the morning to come in the office, sit at my desk the way I do now, but instead of having you know, that tower that's under my desk, that's noisy, that breaks, uh, that has a lot of issues, I just have very simple screens, keyboard, and mouse that I use to do the same work I do today. But all the computing happens remotely in a secure data center where the data is uh, contained, where it's cheaper to manage, where it's easier to track and manage using the same tools, processes that people use today to manage that data center. So it's much more efficient. There are a couple of more advanced scenarios to desktop virtualization. Some involve dedicated computers instead of relying on the data center. Some rely on USB keys, for example, to store a virtual image as opposed to a data center. Server-based computing is kind of a similar concept, and you'll hear the term along with desktop virtualization sometimes. And the concept is exactly the same, except it relies on a physical server instead of a virtual one. But basically, the key concepts of virtual desktops remain the same. It's about replacing computing-heavy and expensive end-user workstations with thin, cheap, some say dumb, unmanaged devices that take a lot less effort and cost to manage, moving the computing away from the user and towards an efficient and secure data center, and using virtualization technologies to deliver the desktop experience that the user actually needs. So to me, it's not simply about thin clients, about operating system virtualization. It's about delivering the best desktop experience to your end users wherever they are. So hearing you describe it, it sounds a lot like some of the discussions we've heard in the past about thin client situations. And I'm wondering if you could tell me why this discussion seems relevant today. What is different about it? You're absolutely right, Paul. It's actually not that different in terms of concepts. Again, the concept is moving the computing away from the end user and into the network or the cloud. So we heard that 10 years ago. And there's several factors that make it a new and exciting topic today. And we see companies embracing the concept now as opposed to 10 years ago for a number of reasons. One is that virtualization is at the core of the other concept of virtual desktops, obviously. And it's been maturing over the years. And it's no longer seen as a bleeding-edge technology. A lot of the other Fortune 100 companies have embraced server virtualization. They're comfortable with it. They know how to manage it. And they've rolled it out in a large-scale fashion. There are still some challenges. We actually spoke about that in a previous Tech podcast, that large-scale VMware environments, for example, may pose uh, specific operational challenges. 
But for the most part, companies are starting to get really comfortable with the concept of virtualized operating systems. And the same types of concept can be applied to the desktop. So the timing is right for companies to say, let's, let's reuse the same tools, techniques we've learned in the server space and adapt them to the, uh, the desktop virtualization space. The second factor that makes it a technology or a solution that's easier to adopt today is that vendors are stepping up. Whether it's VMware, who's been leading the server virtualization space for years, or Citrix, who's catching up real quick with the acquisition of Zen, or even Microsoft, you'll see that virtualization vendors are striving to offer the tools required to build a solid virtual desktop solution. And today those tools are available. We see companies embracing them, and it works. Other technologies are also coming into play today that help make the whole concept of virtual desktop a lot easier and a lot more efficient to manage. You'll see technologies like application virtualization, application streaming uh, that are maturing and give IT organizations more options to be granular in the way you design a flexible desktop solution. So you can address not only how the operating system is deployed to the user, but how you deploy new applications in a way that's really in line with that, what the user actually needs in terms of his own computing needs, his own uh, the, the applications he needs to use on a daily basis by using the right combination of those technologies that are reaching maturity right now. You can basically deliver exactly what the user needs in a way that's efficient for you as an IT organization. So the timing is really good for that. And finally, there are some very tactical, opportunistic needs that make desktop acquisition a suddenly very compelling solution You'll see, for example, that a lot of companies are migrating to Windows Vista. As you probably know, Paul, Vista has a lot more stringent hardware requirements than previous versions of Windows. Some of the things that companies struggle with today is how do, you, do I make those hardware upgrades happen so I can move all my user base to Vista? And it's causing headaches. With desktop virtualization, what some companies are starting to see is I can use the same hardware, and by virtualizing the operating system and making it run in my data center, I don't need to upgrade my laptops, my desktops, etc. It's kind of an elegant solution to a complex problem. And those types of scenarios, and there are others just like this one, are starting to trigger some thoughts on virtual desktops as a viable solution, not only for those particular scenarios, but as a, an enterprise-wide solution for desktops. Well, that gives us a lay of the land, more or less, of what's going on in the state of uh, desktop virtualization. I'm wondering if you could tell me, what some of the benefits to an IT organization there might be to such a solution? There are a number of promises. Some of the, uh, the benefits that desktop virtualization proposes are actually becoming reality. Some may be a little harder to achieve. But basically, number one is security. As I mentioned, basically the concept of virtual desktop is to move computing, to move data applications away from the user into a central location, a data center that's centrally managed, secure, hopefully and that you can better embrace and manage. So by moving all the desktop-associated data back in the data center, companies can finally put their arms around their user data, secure it, and mitigate the risk of data loss. Uh, as you probably know, not a week goes by these days without news of a stolen laptop, private user data being stolen or lost. This is becoming a major concern for IT organizations. And desktop virtualization propose uh, an interesting alternative to having personal data and sensitive corporate data reside on end-user laptops that can easily be stolen or lost. Manageability is another of the other key benefits of virtual desktops. 
if you try to manage thousands of workstations, in many cases across the globe, as many companies do today, with users that tend to be even more mobile than they used to be, who may not log into the corporate network for days because they're on business travel, you'll run into a number of uh, manageability challenges. If you move all the operating systems back from end-user workstations to the data center, it becomes a lot easier to centrally manage and apply consistent tools and processes to manage a large pool of desktop without having to worry about mobile users, without having to worry about disparate types of operating system. Everything is under your control, data center facility that you manage. And even if someone is not logged in or if his desktop is not powered on, today you can't do anything about it. In the virtual desktop solution scenario, that desktop, even powered off, is in your data center. Uh, you can power it on at will, even if the user is you know, sleeping at night. You can apply patches, you can push applications. It becomes a lot easier to do all the other day-to-day administration activities that you typically do to manage your desktop pool. And finally, and I say finally because it's not always the most obvious one, uh, one of the benefits of virtual desktops is cutting costs. Uh, I say it's not obvious because, uh, as I'll talk about a little later, the return on investment is not always uh, evident when you look at it at first. But there are a lot of interesting scenarios where uh, you can see immediate cost savings. One that we see all the time is uh, contractors and consultants. If I'm a large company today, I might be buying hundreds, maybe even thousands of laptops that I give away to consultants when they come in, when they do some work for three, six months. When they walk out the door, they give me my laptop back. I have to re-image it, I have to fix it, reinstall it, and then I deploy it to another consultant. Managing this pool of laptops, buying the hardware, the maintenance, uh, re-imaging those laptops, supporting them is obviously very expensive. It's fairly easy, on the other hand, to have a policy in place to say, if you're a contractor and you're going to do work for me, bring your own laptop, and you probably have one, and I will give you a virtual image that's going to be in my own data center that I control, and you're going to have to use that image, but I'm not going to give you a laptop. So I have, in a way, the best of both worlds. I use a standard image with my own uh, approved configuration, the applications that are standard in my organization, And at the same time, I don't have to buy a laptop from my contractor. I rely on his existing hardware. So here, in this particular scenario, cost savings could be almost immediate. And there are a number of specific scenarios like this that we're starting to identify where the quick hits or the return on investment can be fairly fast and easy to identify. Well, as you outlined it, it's a pretty compelling case for desktop virtualization. So I'm wondering if you could also tell us what are some of the barriers that are keeping IT organizations from fully embracing desktop virtualization? It's a good question. We see a lot of proof of concepts happening. People are starting to embrace the concept and roll it to very small user bases, call centers, where it makes the most sense initially. There are a few barriers or challenges that make it difficult to absorb as a, an enterprise-wide corporate standard. One is scalability and cost. So if you look at it this way, once I decide to virtualize my desktops, I'm basically saying that all the storage that currently resides on my users' workstations, all the applications, the files, everything is going to move to a data center. If you look at just the storage needs required to hold all that user data that's currently distributed throughout my environment, it means I'm going to have to invest heavily in storage. That's enough to give any CIO a heart attack if you look at your raw numbers of gigabytes you're going to have to buy. Fortunately, there are ways to mitigate this risk. There are technical solutions that help, but it's typically the uh, the first hurdle that companies 
face when trying to go large-scale with virtual desktops. The second challenge, as I mentioned, is that the return on investment is typically not obvious at first glance. If I'm going to replace a desktop with a server that has to run in the data center with some tier one storage in my data center as well, and invest in data center facilities to host that desktop, the first reaction is to compare the cost of all that hardware, computing power, network in my data center versus this very simple notebook that is, after all, not that expensive. And if you look at it this way, the return on investment is not that obvious. Of course, there are more uh, aspects of it that one needs to look at to do a complete ROI analysis, but that's also a hurdle that typically slows down enterprises looking at desktop virtualization in a large scale. And finally, virtual desktops are not a one-size-fits-all solution. So it might work very well for certain types of users with very specific computing needs, say an outsource call center with very standard images, limited number of applications, no need to be mobile, constant access to the network. It may not work for certain other types of users that have very specific and different needs to be mobile, to be disconnected for long periods of time, to use heavy computing machines. There are simply certain types of users that will still need a physical desktop or laptop or workstation. So the approach here is to say virtual desktops are a new tool that IT organizations have to efficiently deliver desktops to their end users. But the right solution is not virtual desktops all the way. It's a combination of virtual desktops, application virtualization, operating system streaming, and legacy physical standalone workstations where it still makes sense. I might have, for example, a marketing department that requires very heavy graphical intensive types of workstations that may not be a good candidate for virtualization. So the key to success and where some companies struggle to make virtual desktops work is it's not a one-size-fits-all solution. You need to look at your user requirements, your user base, what they actually need, and develop a solution that fits each of those major categories of users and, and what their needs are. So you talked about giving some of your executives a heart attack because of the investment scene here, and I'm wondering if you could give us a little more of an elaboration on justifying the return on investment and how you can overcome some of those challenges there. Sure. So typically, if you look at it, it's fairly easy. If I want to virtualize a number of desktops, I have to make investments. I need to replace the desktops, those expensive and heavy workstations, with thin clients or cheap laptops, but that's still an investment. I need to buy servers, I need to buy storage, and of course I need to invest in a virtual desktop solution. There's software licenses, training, communication involved in that. On the flip side, if I look at where I'm going to expect to save costs, I'm going to be using cheaper and more reliable hardware. So I expect not to need as much dispatch for break-fix, for example. I expect the type of failures I see today in my environment, like hard drive failures, uh, desktop replacements, to cost me a lot less. I'm also expecting to save costs on manageability because it's going to be much easier to perform certain common support tasks. Uh, for example, I can now clone an operating system in minutes instead of having to have someone insert a CD and, and run through a number of steps or even automating it today is possible, but it still requires a lot of babysitting. That technology of cloning operating systems has matured in the server space and I can use it to deploy hundreds of virtual desktops in a very short period of time. So there are some cost savings, but at, at first glance, as I mentioned, it may not be obvious that I'm going to save significant amounts of money. 
But what we typically see is that if you look at certain scenarios, and again, you're making sure that you meet your users' requirements, because that's, at the end of the day, what you're trying to do first and foremost, then there are a number of ways, sometimes even hidden, that you can save costs and that may have been overlooked at first. One example, if I have a large number of remote locations and I'm rolling out virtual desktops, instead of the old model where I have to dispatch people to install desktops, install operating system images, and perform the initial setup of desktops and workstations, uh, we've seen clients basically ship thin clients to those remote locations and let users themselves install it because it becomes so simple. I don't have to dispatch uh, a support person there for a few days just to install workstations. I'm saving costs on break-fix because, again, it's probably going to break less often than a typical workstation. So there are a lot of creative ways to do what you do today in different and slightly more efficient ways and save costs there. That's typically what we see once the, the precise user requirements have been identified and a solution has been deployed. Uh, users start to think about all those more efficient ways of doing things and, and to save costs. Another interesting case that I mention very often is you see large companies starting to decide not to buy laptops or desktops for some types of users and instead give them an allowance and say, go buy your own workstation. Uh, buy something that's what you like. may not be a standard in the company, but we'll give you money. We'll let you buy it as long as you decide to support it yourself or ask the place where you buy it to support it for you. And we'll give you a virtual image. And same situation here. While the, the return on investment may not be evident, just by saving on hardware cost, depreciation, maintenance, and letting users buy their own equipment, you're able to save. So there are a lot of creative ways to embrace virtual desktops in new scenarios that companies are starting to experiment with and where I believe we'll see strong return on investment. So if I were to come to you at Bearing Point and wanted to explore further the desktop virtualization initiatives that uh, I might undertake, how would you assist me with that? So our goal is obviously to help with the, the pain points I mentioned earlier or the doubts that people might have. So the first thing we typically offer is a structured approach to assessing your user base and understanding their requirements. Again, as I mentioned, it's critical to understand exactly what your users need today and whether a virtual desktop solution will even be a fit for them. So to be successful with virtual desktops, it's critical to understand that and gain a good understanding of whether you have users who require a powerful desktop with a large display with business hour support versus users that are maybe more mobile, need ultra-portable laptops, 24-7 support, etc. The first thing we typically do with clients looking at virtual desktops is helping them assess those different needs, understand current standards, management tools, support processes, service levels, and map those different types of user bases with different requirements to the best solution for them. And typically that involves concepts around virtual desktops, virtual applications, etc. but the key is to find the right mix for a given user base. The second thing we do is once we've figured out exactly how we want to roll out virtual desktops, we develop strategic roadmaps that address where do you go first, what's your quick hit, what's a population, and I mentioned contractors earlier, where if you roll out virtual desktops today, you'll see immediate cost savings, or almost immediate. So after we've developed that roadmap, obviously where we want to help, and I mentioned it's usually a, a tough point, is the business case. And I mentioned that companies typically have a hard time justifying the investment in virtual desktops. 
that's where we come in and we explain all the creative ways you can actually leverage virtual desktops to make things more efficiently to save on certain costs that may be hidden in some cases. And one that typically gets overlooked is power savings by moving a large number, hundreds, maybe thousands of power-hungry notebooks, desktops that may be on the desks to an efficient, cool data center. There's actually been studies that show that you can cut on your power costs just by doing that. So we help with the business case and understanding all those sometimes creative ways to save money using virtual desktops. And finally, of course, we help with the implementation itself, proof of concepts all the way up to full-blown deployment. And that can actually get sometimes complex when you look at integrating with existing desktop management tools, tweaking support processes. Obviously, your staff is going to be reacting very different to a virtual desktop than a physical one. So there's a lot of training involved with your IT operation, your support personnel, etc., to make sure that they can properly manage a virtual desktop throughout its life cycle. Well, Laurent, that's a great overview of desktop virtualization and the solutions to some of the issues that come up with it. I'm wondering if you have any final thoughts on the topic. Well, Paul, I think we're just starting to scratch the surface about the value of virtual desktops. It's definitely an exciting field. We see a lot of innovation. We see a lot of vendors coming in. We see large companies starting to embrace it. We even see analysts making some pretty bold projections about the adoption of virtual desktops in the future. Gartner recently said that they expect the number of virtual desktops to go up from 5 million in 2007 to close to 700 million in 2011. So it's a gigantic growth rate. And I suspect that as we go, we'll see more and more creative ways of applying the virtual desktop concept in different types of scenarios. And we're already starting to see, for example, that hosting companies are offering virtual desktop as a service. And that's yet another model that comes into play where instead of purchasing workstations, I can just buy thin clients or let my users bring their own laptop to work. And I'm going to pay a company to provide my users with operating system application and their own desktop environment. So we'll see a lot of those new models uh, mature over the years. And I believe we're just starting to see the tip of the iceberg when it comes to virtual desktops. Laurent, thanks very much for taking time out and talking to us today. Thanks, Paul. Laurent Mandorla is a senior manager with Bearing Point. 